0: Okay, true confession time. How many of you have ever eaten a meal without washing your hands? Me too. How many of you have eaten shrimp? I have too, but not recently enough, right? Or lobster? Or how about pork? Or here's an interesting question. How many of you have ever, or maybe are right now, worn clothing made from a mixed fiber, like a polycotton blend? Okay, why am I asking these weird questions? All of these things, which most of us do all the time, are forbidden in the Old Testament. Does that make us guilty of violating God's law? In today's first reading from Deuteronomy, Moses clearly says, In your observance of the commandments of the Lord your God, which I enjoin upon you, you shall not add to what I command you, nor subtract from it. Do we not subtract from God's law by saying that certain things once forbidden are now okay? Does this make us hypocrites like the Pharisees that Jesus condemns in today's gospel? Because that's the charge that some people lay against Christians Because those same Old Testament books of the law that forbid homosexual acts, fornication, and adultery also forbid eating pork and eating shellfish and wearing clothes of mixed fibers. So they claim that it's hypocritical of the church to insist upon upholding certain rules while ignoring others. If we can decide to ignore part of God's law, Why not the rest? That being the charge, it's important that we as Christians understand why it is that we continue to uphold certain laws of the Old Testament but no longer consider binding others, such as the laws of ritual purity or dietary restrictions. There are over 600 laws in the Old Testament, 600 plus. But God did not begin his covenant with the people of Israel by giving them 600 plus laws to follow. He first gave them 10, what we call the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. But immediately, immediately, the people of Israel broke the very first and most important one, the commandment against idolatry, by making a golden calf and worshipping it as a god. And Israel's violation of the commandments had real consequences. It helps us to remember that God is our father, and Israel was a rebellious child, We see this throughout the Old Testament, again and again, the people of Israel rebelling against God. And what do parents do to correct rebellious children? They discipline them, and they enforce stricter rules. If you're the parent of a child who is responsible and trustworthy and conscientious and caring, you probably don't have a lot of rules in your home because they're not needed now the lack of rules doesn't mean that that child is free to misbehave without any consequences it just means that the child knows how to act rightly and generally does but if you are the parent of a child who habitually misbehaves you have to set firm rules and the more problematic the child the stricter the rules right we understand this You impose an early curfew, or you insist that homework is completed before the TV is turned on, or maybe give them a list of chores that they have to complete before they're allowed to leave the house. The rules aren't to punish the child for being bad, but to give the child boundaries and to teach them discipline, to prepare them for that day when they will be on their own and be a responsible adult and no longer live under mom and dad's rules, because that day will come. Every child will grow up and leave the home, and then it's up to them how to behave. Either they're going to apply the lessons learned and lead a good life, or they'll continue to act poorly and suffer the consequences. But either way, they are responsible for their actions. So all of the disciplinary laws of the Old Testament are like that. They were there to serve a purpose to teach the people of Israel obedience and respect for God and to instruct them in the way of truth and wisdom and to prepare them for that day when the rules would no longer be needed because the law would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus does not say that the law of Moses wasn't good or justified, but it has served its purpose. It has been fulfilled. The rebellious teenager has grown up. We don't need a curfew or a checklist any longer to tell us how to behave. It's time for us to be responsible for our own actions. This is why in Matthew's gospel, Jesus teaches us that we shouldn't need to be told that it's wrong to murder because we should not have hate in our hearts. We shouldn't need to be told that it's wrong to commit adultery because we shouldn't be lusting after one another in our hearts. He's showing us the reason behind those rules, the love behind the law. That's what the law was there to teach us. So in the book of Acts, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we see the apostles declaring that Christians are no longer bound by the law of Moses. Christians don't need to be circumcised. Christians can eat pork and all the other animals that were previously considered unclean. We don't need to observe the ritual purity laws any longer. They were never meant to save us anyway. They were meant to prepare us for the one who does save us, who purifies us, not of dirt and germs, but of sinful disease, the disease of the soul. Jesus Christ, who as St. Paul says over and over again in his epistles, has freed us from the burden of the law. Okay, so all that is true. So then why do we continue to forbid certain things that were forbidden in the law of Moses, such as homosexual acts, fornication, adultery, murder, theft, witchcraft, idolatry, and all those sort of things. Why do we still apply those laws? It's because those things belong to a higher law, a law that can never be repealed because it's the law written into the very fabric of our beings. It's called the natural law. God has a plan and a purpose in mind for everything that he creates. The planets move in their orbits and the stars twinkle in the sky because that's what God made them to do. Dogs bark and chickens lay eggs because God made them that way. Irrational creatures like this obey God's law simply by being what they are. But we are not irrational creatures. We are rational creatures. We have a mind. We have a free will. And God has a plan and a purpose for us as well. We're different from these other elements in creation because we are made in the image of God. Our rational intellects and our free will are part of being made in God's image. That means that we have the capacity to understand and we have the freedom to make choices. And that means, unlike the dog, who can never act like anything but a dog, and unlike the chicken, who can never act like anything but a chicken, human beings can act in very inhuman ways. And those things that Jesus mentions in today's gospel, the things that defile a person, unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, arrogance, and so on, are wrong because they are inhuman. They are beneath us. That means when we do them, we lessen ourselves. We make ourselves less than what we truly are. We harm our own dignity. These things aren't wrong because they violate some arbitrary rule. They're wrong in and of themselves. They're wrong because they violate us. So, for example, for the Jews to eat pork was a sin, not because eating pork is wrong, but because it was wrong to violate a law that God had set in place over them. So their sin was disobedience. The sin wasn't eating pork. But by contrast, when Cain murdered Abel, he committed a grave sin, even though that was a long time before God gave the commandment not to kill. And that's because murder is always and everywhere wrong. Murder is wrong in and of itself. Do you see the difference? When we murder, when we steal, when we lie, when we commit unchaste acts, We're doing things that aren't just contrary to a rule, they're contrary to how we were made as human beings. Do you know when you buy like a new kitchen appliance or something, it comes with an owner's manual? And there's usually a disclaimer somewhere in the owner's manual that says if you use this device in any way other than instructed, it voids the warranty. And they put that in there because they know that if you use that device contrary to its intended purpose, it's liable to break it and they're not responsible. Well, the same is true of us, right? The things that Jesus mentions are contrary to our intended purpose as human beings. For example, our minds were designed to know the truth, and so lying harms us. Our hearts are meant to love and to give generously, and so greed and envy harm us. Things outside of ourselves might harm our bodies, right? If I don't wash my hands before I eat, I might be exposed to germs and catch cold or something. The roof could come crashing down on my head right now while I'm preaching. Maybe some of you wish it would, right? (laughs) No, you don't. You're too nice for that, right? But the roof could come crashing down and, and kill me and kill this body. And if I'm in a state of grace, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to get a new and glorified body, so I'll be all right. But the things that come from within our hearts, the things that we choose to do that are contrary to human nature, those things harm our souls, and that can have eternal consequences. We cause ourselves real damage when we sin, and that's why sin is offensive to God. St. Thomas Aquinas says, we offend God only when we harm ourselves. Not when we break God's rules, but when we harm ourselves. God loves us, and it breaks his heart to see us doing things that cause ourselves harm. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to be hurt. And that's why the rules are there. That's why one-fourth of the catechism is dedicated to the study of the moral life. That's why the church retains certain aspects of the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments, because God knows that we need this continued help and guidance to keep from harming ourselves. And God also knows that we need a remedy for when we do, that we need a way to heal when we harm ourselves and others by our sin. And that's the good news, that the God who made us can also restore us. St. James tells us today to humbly welcome the word that has been planted in you and is able to save you. We need to do an examination of conscience. Do you do that on a regular basis? It's a good thing to do every night before you go to bed, right? The more often you do it, the less you have to remember. Examine your life. Humbly recognize your own folly, your own wrongdoings, your own disordered desires. We all have them. And then ask Jesus to come into your broken heart. He made that heart, and he knows how to mend it. Go to confession. Jesus is waiting for you there. He wants to forgive you. He's not only able, but he's willing. No, he's eager, he's desperate to save your soul.